of the gospel and I hope you get a chance to meet him and think and you can think of some good things to say about me to him I hope you can think of a couple of things at least and David Fenner is one of the one of the deacons there at the Dowling Road Church in Beaumont Texas so happy that we are here Max is a big car guy so there was a car show or something going on in Scottsdale I think so that's why he is here he is not here primarily to see us believe me he's here for the car show um, remember, and let me get my clicker here, remember the rules for the class. We're going to keep putting those up there as a reminder uh, so we can have some, some opportunity for everybody to speak in the class. I've really enjoyed hearing from different folks uh, in the class. You've been making some good comments, and I appreciate that. Go on your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to say a few things about Matthew 21 as we continue our series of studies about Bible authority. We started some classes, a quarter of classes on Bible authority, and we're now at the point where we're talking about false standards of authority, false standards of authority. We want to keep looking at those things, kind of ties with Chad's lesson this morning a little bit, I think. So we're going to keep looking at those false standards of authority. You need to be able to recognize those false standards so that we can then be able to recognize the right standard, which is the word of God. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into our study today. Holy Father, we are so thankful, Father in heaven, for you blessing us to be able to be here, Father, to open up your word, to study, to learn how to rightly divide the scriptures, to, Father, put our faith in the word. And we pray, Father, that you will bless this time of study, Father, that we will be able to properly discern what is right and what is wrong. We pray for our shepherds who lead us in this church. We pray, Father, for all of our Bible class teachers and all of our young people who are in their classes right now. We're also mindful of our young people in this class, Father. We pray that we will all learn and grow together at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we go to Matthew chapter 21. And remember in Matthew 21, we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday in Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse number 23, remember in Matthew 21, beginning with verse number 23, Jesus, this is the day after he had cleansed the temple of corruption. They had turned the temple into a place of business. And the next day in Matthew 21, the Pharisees or, or the chief priests and the elders, the religious leaders, they come to Jesus with a question. And the question they have for Jesus is by what authority did you do what you did? By what authority did you cleanse the temple? By what authority did you come in here turning over tables and, and, and trying to make a fool of us and, and correct us? By what authority did you do these things? Who gave you this authority? So their question to Jesus was about authority, particularly his authority. And I think it's interesting how Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that question, does he? He doesn't say authority. What are you doing coming to me talking about authority? Who cares? Who cares about authority? I don't need any authority. Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, Jesus, being the master teacher that he is, he takes their question about authority and he turns it around and he asks his own question about authority. And since they care so much about authority, Jesus wanted to know how they felt about John's baptism. Where did John get authority for his baptism, his baptism for remission of sins? Did he come from heaven 
or did it come from men? And Jesus knew that they rejected John. They rejected John as a prophet, even though he was recognized as a prophet. He was a prophet. So the point of that is Jesus, he loves questions about authority. Those are great questions. And the religious leaders, they really didn't care about authority. They didn't care about authority. They cared about their own power and how people perceived them. And Jesus exposed this over and over again. John's baptism, the authority for it came from heaven. And these religious leaders who claimed to care so much about authority, they didn't recognize that and they did not acknowledge that. And Jesus exposed them once again. And so we started with that illustration from Matthew's gospel to kind of tie right in or go right into some wrong standards of authority for us today that we need to talk about. And the first example we gave, the first example we gave on Wednesday was traditions. Traditions. And when we say traditions, we're talking about man-made traditions, okay? I want to be very clear about that, young people. When we say traditions, we're talking about man-made traditions, traditions that we come up with, okay? And some of the things we came up with were what we're doing right now, right? Bible classes. Bible classes is, is a tradition. That's tradition that, that a lot of religious groups do. Wednesday night Bible class, Sunday morning Bible class, some other examples we have were announcements. That's a tradition. You know, closing before you close the service, people get up and some people get up and say announcements. That's a tradition. Invitations, a Wednesday night invitation. That's a, that's a tradition. Times of services, whether you meet from 9 to 12 like we do, or if you meet from 10 to 12 like some churches do, or 6 to 7 in the evening, those are traditions. The number of services you have, whether you have a morning service, evening service, or you do one big thing like we do, traditions. Order of services, where you put the Lord's Supper in the service, where you put the preaching, how many songs you have in the service, in the worship assembly. Tradition. Gospel meetings. Tradition. Congregational singings. Tradition. Vacation Bible school. Tradition. A closing song before we're all dismissed like we're going to do later on today. Tradition. Even starting a Bible class with a prayer. Tradition. Those are what you call traditions. Things that, that we've come up with uh, for our worship assemblies. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Are traditions or all, are all traditions sinful in themselves? Are all traditions sinful in themselves? Yes or no? No. All traditions are not sinful in themselves. Absolutely not. They're not all sinful in themselves, but when do they become a problem? In other words, why do we have to be careful with how we treat traditions as Christians? Anybody got an answer for that? Why do we have to be careful? Remember, you got one comment, so if you use it, you lose it here. This is it right here for you. All right? So, Ryan, and I'm coming to Lance. Ryan, yes, sir. When you bind it above God's law. When you bind it above God's law. That's a great answer, Ryan. Lance, do you have something you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I like how the Jerusalem Council, as we call it by tradition. Right. And I 
think that really gets to the dust of it. There's things that we create, that, that we put in institute that can, can be, uh, that are, are not spiritual commandments, but they're expediency, but they don't work in every situation. They don't work in every situation. Every group is going to have different traditions. Everything, they're going to have different things that they do. And, and so that, you're right, both of you are right about that. Traditions in themselves are not sinful. But the problem is this, and this is the problem the Lord had with them. When you put them too high, that makes sense. When you put them on the same level with God's word, that's when they become a problem. And go to Matthew 15, because we see it with Matthew 15, verse 1. We'll start with verse 1. Matthew 15, 1. And watch this, young people. Watch this carefully here, okay? Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break what? The tradition of the elders. So they're worried about traditions. For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Why don't your disciples keep traditions? Keep a tradition. And Jesus answered and said, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your own tradition? And then Jesus goes on to talk about how they were not honoring their parents. They would try to find loopholes and ways around giving support to their parents. They didn't want to honor the word of God, and yet they wanted to honor these traditions. Now, you see this kind of stuff all throughout the ministry of our Lord. All throughout his ministry, he clashes with the religious leaders, and one of the main things they clash about is traditions, how they want to bind these traditions they have about the Sabbath these traditions they have about washing hands, all these traditions they have, they want to put them up here with, with the word of God, and yet they don't honor and submit to the word of God. So one of the problems, one of the main problems Jesus had with these men was they elevated traditions too high. They put traditions on the same level with God's word, and they didn't even strive to sincerely keep all of God's word. So that's the thing to know about traditions. Look, the traditions we do here, the traditions we do, they're not sinful. Not sinful to have announcements. Not sinful to have a gospel meeting. I love these things. These are, these are great traditions we have. They're wonderful traditions, okay? And they help us do God's work, and they help us be edified. But let's always understand, and hear, hear me carefully, young people, that they're traditions. They're traditions. They are not up here with God's word, and we don't need to be fussing and fighting and splitting congregations over traditions. We don't need to be doing that. And how many churches have you known break up, split up, have all kind of problems because what? They've elevated traditions too highly. They fail to recognize the difference between what God has said, declared, and what a man-made tradition is. Second thing, family. Let's talk a little bit about family. You don't have to answer out loud here. I just want you to think about this. You ever heard someone try to justify their religious practices by using their family? I was raised by a man who did that. My grandfather, who raised me in Nacogdoches, Texas, he, he was uh, part of a denominational church, uh, and he would always say to me, I'm not going to consider what you have to say, Sean, about baptism, about instrumental music, because my parents did these things. My parents were saved by faith alone. My parents worshiped this way. My parents were part of this kind of church. And if it was good enough for my parents, guess what? It's good enough for me. My parents died with this kind of faith. I'm going to die with this kind of faith. You ever heard someone say that before? 
You ever heard someone try to justify what they do with their family? Can someone, I'll just take one comment here, so think, think about it carefully. What is wrong with this argument? What is wrong with the argument that what I'm doing is okay because my family did it? What's wrong with that argument? Anybody got an answer for that? Yes, ma'am, Carol. Would you say it again, ma'am? <laughs> Carolyn said, your family can't take you to heaven. It's personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. I like that. Dave, do you have your hand up, sir? Go ahead, sir. Dave says we're diluting God's authority by doing that. So we put parents as the chief authority instead of God. Go in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 10. And, and this goes with Dave's point. We're going to read some scriptures there in just a second. Matthew chapter 10. That's exactly right. And this is even true if you have family members who are part of the church, who are Christians. You can't ride their coattail to heaven. Their faith is not going to save you. Okay? So the, the, to go with what Carol and Dave said, I, I, was, I want to say this to go with that. Family can be wrong. <laughs> Family can be wrong. My mama can be wrong. My daddy can be wrong. We don't put our faith in parents. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that in Matthew 10, look at verse 37. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 37. Jesus says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross to follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So notice how Jesus says that we are not to love anyone more than him. A big implication of that is people other than Jesus can be wrong. They can lead us astray. And when we have to make a decision between following what he has said and what somebody else says, we always go with Jesus. Even if that means going above our parents, our kids, grandkids, or spouse, Jesus always must come first. And I put those passages on the slide there about the Apostle Paul because Paul, you know, he took a lot of pride in his heritage, in his family, and how he grew up. He grew up very religious. He grew up in a religious family. He was trained by some of the best Jewish, Jewish leaders at that time. And yet Paul recognized that those people couldn't save him. He couldn't put his trust in, in his heritage, in his family upbringing. He had to put his trust in Jesus. So we need to understand this. And this is especially important for you young folks. For you young people, you have to get your own faith. You can't have your mama's faith. You can't have your daddy's faith. you got to get your own faith. If you don't have your own faith, and if you're not sold on these things yourself, you will never be an authentic follower of Jesus. You must have your own faith in Jesus. So family is a false standard of, of authority. And what about emotions? This kind of goes with what Chad said. Emotions. You ever heard someone say before, I know this is right. I know this church is right. I know this worship is right because it feels good. It feels good. Oh, it's just, I feel the spirit. I feel it in my heart. I was studying with a lady one time when I was in Tennessee, and we were studying with her. It was clear to us that she was not a New Testament Christian. And I asked her in the first study, what did you do to be saved? I asked her, are you, are you a Christian? She said, yes. I said, so what did you do to become a Christian? What did you do to be saved? 
She said, well, I believed in Jesus and I said a prayer and I let Jesus in my heart. And I said, how do you know that's that was the right thing to do? And she said, well, I could feel it. And I looked out and I saw the trees moving and I saw the trees even clapping, she said. She said she saw the trees clapping in the wind. See, she felt it. She felt like she was right with God. Does anybody have, I'll take a comment here. Does anybody have an idea or, an, you know, some thought as to why this is faulty, a faulty standard of authority, your feelings? Anybody got an idea on that? What's wrong with emotions? Yes, ma'am, Vanessa. Yes, yes. No, that's that, uh, that's very good. You know, and I like that, that idea. You feel like the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in me. It's that fine line there. You know, as human beings, we have emotions, do we not? We have emotions. That's how God made us. But the question is, should we be led by our emotions? And I think that's where you're going at with that, Vanessa. Should we be led by emotions? I'll take one more comment here, and then I got to get moving. Uh, yes, Mitch, and then. No, Paul, yeah, that's a great point. You know, Paul there is talking about some people who are so determined to do wrong that God will give you over to it. And you'll be believing a lie. He'll let you do that. If that's where you want to go, you will, you will believe lies, and God will give you over to it. That's a great, that's a great comment. Granville, and then I'll get on to the next one. Yes, sir. What's that, sir? Probably the best example in the Bible of this is the, is the Apostle Paul. When he was Saul of Tarsus. Saul said, and that's the verse I got on the screen there for you, Acts 26. He was persecuting Christians. And he felt it was right. He felt this is what God wanted him to do. He wasn't doing that to, to knowingly rebel against God. He saw this new religion on the scene that was different than Judaism. He says, no, God wants me to get rid of this. This is not right. And he felt like it was the right thing to do. But Paul had to realize later that he was sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely wrong. Jacob sincerely thought Joseph was dead. He really believed that. Why? Because his sons told him that. So he went for years believing my son Joseph is dead. He got killed by a wild beast. He went years believing that. But did his feelings make that true? Was Joseph really dead? Just because you feel some don't make it true. Our feelings sometimes can be out of step with reality. So we don't be led by feelings. We do have emotions. We do have good feelings. We have bad feelings. But God never says in his word that we are to be led by feelings. We are to be led by truth, by his word. And we should love the truth. So 
This is a wrong standard. And all through the Bible, you find this. You find it with Paul. You find it with Jacob. You find people throughout the scriptures sincerely believing things. But they have to realize eventually they sincerely believe things that were wrong. And let me tell you this. There are a lot of people in the world right now who are at church, just like us right now. And they sincerely believe they're doing right. They sincerely believe they're worshiping God right, that they're saved, that they're right with God. And they're wrong. And they're wrong, not because I say they're wrong. They're wrong because the emotion doesn't match up with the truth. Doesn't match up with the word of God. This brings us to the next one, your conscience. Everybody's got a conscience. Everybody in this room has a conscience. And when we say conscience, young people, young people, when we say conscience, we're talking about the inner feeling or the inner voice that guides you. The inner feeling, the inner voice that guides you to do something or not do something. Everybody has a conscience and everybody's level of conscience is different. OK, your conscience may not be the same as mine. Everybody's got a different level a different level of, of, of a conscience. That's just a fact, okay? But here's the key thing when it comes to the conscience. The conscience must be trained. You can't just go with your conscience because one man's conscience may say, hey, I have no problem with smoking dope. I don't. I have no problem sleeping with women, sleeping around with different women. You know, I don't murder people. I'm not, a, I'm not a rapist. So his conscience makes him think it's okay to commit sexual immorality, to smoke dope, drink. And, and, and so you, if you can't just go by the conscience because everybody's got a different level. You've you got to train your conscience. It's got to be trained properly. Paul said in Acts 23 and verse 1 that he persecuted Christians in a good conscience. He said that. And Paul also said in 1 Timothy 4, that men can become so sinful that their conscience is seared as with a what? A brand and iron. You can't go by your conscience. People have different levels of it. And so you train your conscience. And how do we train our conscience? Through what? Studying the word. That's how you train your conscience. You study the word. You get in, you in the word, and once you get into the word and get convicted by the word and get faith in the word, then your conscience is trained properly. Then your conscience is trained in a way that's in line with God's will. Let's put this. Now we're going to go to the little magic board here. I did okay with that on uh, Wednesday, didn't I? I might mess it up today, so we're going to see here. All right, I want to talk about the majority a little bit, if you don't mind. We're going to talk about the majority. The majority. Can someone, and I think of this while I pull this up, what are some things in this world right now where there's a majority? And I'm talking about religious things. What are some religious things you can think of, religious groups, religious practices, where Dr. Shun is back this morning, where there's a majority. Can anybody think? Let's make a little, let's make a little list here. Yes, yes, David. 
Instrumental music. Instrumental music. So Brother David says, instrumental music. It seems to me, and, 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 and Brother David, I know you know this as well, that a few decades ago, not relatively a long time ago, this wasn't the majority. This is a relatively new phenomenon. A lot of people don't know that. Whereas instrumental music being widely accepted in church worship. But today you wouldn't know that. You talk to most religious folks today and you tell them we go to a church with no piano, no guitar. Are you what kind of church do you go to? That's nuts. Whereas just a few decades ago, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been this way. So that's a good one. The majority of folks worshiping right now are not worshiping like this. They got all kind of stuff up here and it makes them feel good. Anyone else got something? That's a good start. Yes, ma'am, Margie. Baptizing babies, we'll say infants, etc., toddlers, baptizing people, they don't have a clue of what they're doing. Absolutely. That is that is one, and that goes down, that one does go back a long way. That one goes back a long time where that's been going on. Did any of you young folks have anything on yours where you that you thought of something with the majority? If you do, raise your hand high so I can see. I don't want to miss you guys, okay, you ladies. Anyone else have something? Yes, Tony and Don, I'll come back to you, sir. Uh, not having communion every week. Oh, that's a good one. I'll just put communion on here. Communion. That's a good one. Do you think the majority of churches take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week like we do? No. Many do it once a month. Some just do it once a year on Easter. Uh, you know, my people think we're weird for doing it every Sunday. Brother Don, yes, sir. Baptism doesn't save. Oh, can I even put on here, Don, to go with that faith, faith alone? Is that okay? Calvinism yeah, Calvinism. Yeah, Calvinism. Particularly this idea that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. That, that is the majority. That is the majority among people who claim to be Christians in this country. The vast majority of them do not believe in baptism for salvation. Brother James, yes, sir. What's that, sir? <laughs> too many collections. Oh, come on, James. You can't have too many collections, right? That didn't sound right coming from the preacher, did it? Too many collections. That's how I grew up. Uh, coming from a family that most of my families and denominations, that's what, they don't, they're not going to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. But they're going to pass them plates. And they're going to pass them a lot. Absolutely. John, yes, sir. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm okay. Can you explain that more, please, Brother John? I'll just put it this way. All faiths are okay. All faiths are okay. All roads lead to heaven, right? We're all going to the same place, just taking different roads to get there. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yes, Jamal. Everybody's God's children. Everybody's God's children. Everyone. Everyone is God's child. You ever heard someone say that before? That's a big one. Lisa, you had one, ma'am. Emotions. Services, worship, experiences, 
fee, and that's a big deal for people. I mean, it's tailored that way. Emotions. Want you to feel good. Yes, Jason. The use funds. Oh, man, that's a good one. You know, the, the, the vast majority of churches don't use their funds merely for benevolence, edification, preaching. They're using it for all kind of stuff. Bake sales, karate, basketball, pizza, school, bingo night. Bingo, bingo night. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, no, that's good. Take a couple more now. Yes, ma'am. So, so it doesn't matter where you worship. Doesn't matter where you worship. Worship. Doesn't matter where you worship. That's good. That's very good. One more. Maybe got one more. Well, Granville, you already did your one, Granville. You missed the class rules. Okay. Uh, yes, Jared. What's that? Fellowship. And that kind of ties with Jason's thing. Fellowship halls. And I think we could even go as far as to say in the vast majority of churches of Christ. You may have that being accepted. This is, this is how I grew up. So let me give you some other ones. Those are great. Those are wonderful. Really, really good answers there. So I'm going to tell you some other ones to kind of go with what you said to see what we got here, okay? Everything y'all said, those are wonderful answers. Here's some additional ones. What about in the Middle East? Are the vast majority of people in the Middle East Christians? Vast majority. People Muslims. What about in China? Are the vast majority of people Muslims and Christians in China? They're actually atheists. The vast majority are not religious at all. They don't believe in God in China. What about in Utah? Anybody been in Utah? I've been to Salt Lake City. We went a couple of years ago. Vast majority of people in uh, Utah, members of the Church of Christ, or even Baptists or Catholics, what are they? What about how people feel about same-sex marriage today? Vast majority of people believe like us on that. To look at, I looked at the most recent statistics on that, at least I believe they were. And it shows that about two-thirds, over two-thirds of Americans believe that's, that should be accepted. Majority. Majority. Now, you know that was much different just a few decades ago. Much lower. But it's going up, 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 up. And guess what? It's going to keep going as the new generations keep coming up. Up, up, up. So do you see the point we're trying to make here? You see the point we're trying to make? When it comes to majority and minority and beliefs, we are in the minority. We're in the minority on instrumental music, what we believe about baptism, Lord's Supper, church, worship, collection, and not just that, but when you take this worldwide, you go to different countries, you get out of the states, places like China, you're going to be outnumbered when it comes to even believing in God. You go to the Middle East, you're outnumbered in who is the chief spokesman of God, Muhammad or Jesus. You, you, you go to Utah, you outnumbered there when it comes to those who are Mormons. When you come to your morality and what you believe about marriage, you're in a minority. You're in a minority. 
So can someone please tell me now, and I'll just take one, one or two comments here, what is wrong with this way of thinking? What's wrong with, with going on, letting our standard be the majority? What's the problem there, Brother Gary? Jesus says he's the standard, not majority, right? Anybody else have a thought on that? What's wrong with, uh, who is that back there? Yes, sir. Go right ahead, sir. <laughs> I like that a lot. Truth stays constant, but the majority shifts, does it not? And we've seen that with same-sex marriage. We're seeing it with a lot of these moral issues in our society. We see that firsthand. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are going to be many who enter through it. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And only a few will find it. On the judgment day, you want to be in the minority or the majority, according to what Jesus says. I want to be in the minority. Jesus says there's going to be more people lost than saved. What about the days of Noah? Was Noah in the majority or the minority, according to what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.20. He's in the big time minority. You know, sometimes we say, oh, man, it's so bad in our times today. And it's bad, but come on, no, if he was here with us, he would say, give me a break. I think there's more than eight faithful people in the world, hopefully even in this building right now. Noah was one of eight. When we ever start trying to whine about how bad things are today, let's just remember that if Noah could see us, he would laugh at us. Noah had it real bad, one of eight. So the majority cannot be the standard of authority because majority changes their beliefs. Majority, a lot of times, out of step with what is right. Jesus is the standard, the word of God. God has never been concerned with numbers. Even you go back to the time of Elijah. Remember Elijah, the prophets of Baal? Elijah was one of only a few who was serving God. The Baal worshipers outnumbered the true worshipers. I'm going to throw these next two up here pretty quick so you can kind of just see this and think about it. Religious leaders, religious leaders, religious leaders can't be our standard of authority. You know why? Because they can be wrong. They're men. Men can be wrong. But a lot of people put their trust in the preacher, don't they? If the preacher says it's right. My preacher said it. My grandfather said it to me all the time. My preacher, he, he said baptism is not for salvation. I'm not, I got to talk to my preacher first. Even though Mark 16, 16 is standing right in the face. Sean Jeffries is a man. And a man can be wrong. The elders are men. They can be wrong. Bible class teachers are men and women. They can be wrong. You know who can't ever be wrong? Jesus. When it comes between me and Jesus, and if I tell you something that doesn't go with what Jesus says, you always reject what I say. I don't care how much you like me. You go with Jesus, because only Jesus can save your soul. A man can't save your soul. Human wisdom, that kind of goes with Chad's lesson this morning. Chad even cited this verse as a way that seems right to a man, but the, the end is death. Can't go by our own wisdom, what we think is right. You know, Jeroboam in his day, if you remember Jeroboam in the Old Testament, Jeroboam said, well, I think this is a good idea. We'll set up some golden calves. 
and Dan and Bethel. They'll keep you folks from having to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship. That's his human wisdom. And it was wrong and put Israel on a, on a path of apostasy and idolatry. So these are, the, these are false standards here. False standards here. So the right standard. What's the right standard? We know what the right standard It's God's standard. It's that book you have. And that's what this is all about. It's all about getting down to the word of God. So I'm going to pop these things up here for you to jot down. Young people, I want you to make sure you get this, okay? I want you to get this. And y'all been listening so well. I'm so proud of you. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. I'm going to jot these things. I'm going to put these things on the, on the slide. I want you to jot these things down. These are the key words you should have noticed as you have gone through these verses if you did your Bible lesson ahead of time. Why is God's standard the right standard and how should we treat God's standard? Well, Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, it should be retained. He talks about retaining the pattern of what? Sound words, sound doctrine. So when it comes to God's standard, we don't get away from it. We don't run from it. We don't deviate from it. We get close to it. We retain it. We hold on to it. We retain the words of sound doctrine. That's the key language to notice from that text. Second one, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, Paul told Timothy to preach the word, the gospel. He says, you preach the word, you be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for a time will come when people will not endure what? Sound doctrine. Don't we live in those times? They want to have their ears tickled and they want to get teachers who will preach to them things they want to hear instead of what God wants them to know. Paul says you preach the truth. The word of God, God's standard must be preached. It also must not be deserted. Galatians 1, Paul told the Galatian Christians, I'm amazed you've deserted the one gospel for a false gospel. Don't ever desert the truth. You accept this gospel. I don't care if me or an angel preaches something different to you. You stay with the one gospel. John 12, 48, you don't reject God's standard. Jesus says that the one who rejects his sayings has one who will judge him. Jesus says the words I speak to you will judge you in the last day. We're going to be judged by God's standard, not the standard of men. 2 John 9, John says we abide in God's standard. We abide, stay in, stay in the doctrine. Don't go out of bounds. If we go out of bounds from God's doctrine, we don't have fellowship with the Father or the Son. And then the final one, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus says the only people who are going to be saved in the end are those who do the will of the Father. It doesn't matter how religious we think we are, how many things we do, we slap Jesus' name on it. If it's not in the will of the Father, it's not pleasing to God. Those, that's the language to notice from those verses, okay? I want you to notice the language of the text. That's what the text says there. We're going to stop right there. I appreciate y'all's comments. Appreciate y'all so much. Y'all are just wonderful. We'll try to start with Lesson 3 on Wednesday. We'll take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to worship God. Thank y'all so much. Thank you.